So it's Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, good evening. And um, it's a real joy to be able to come and share uh, the word uh, with you. Um, Before I do, though, I want to recommend this book uh, by Tim Keller called Hidden Christmas. Um, It goes into a little bit more depth about uh, the whole Christmas story. So if you're looking for something a little bit more meaty than um, your kind of uh, regular Bible reading notes, I would highly recommend that. There are two copies on the back, uh, on the bookcase at the back. Well, we're continuing our sermon series um, on encounters. Uh, And so today we're looking at Mary. And there are lots of extraordinary things going on in this passage. Actually, I felt like a child in a sweet shop going, what am I going to share? And um, But as we come into this Advent season for 2019, we need to be really careful that we don't become immune to the truth and the revelation that's contained in this passage. So we need to ask for God's help. So we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, would you speak to each one of us? Would you open up this scripture to us? Lord, that we might learn something of you that is fresh And Lord, I pray that you will help us to um, not be kind of blasé about the fact that this is another story that we just repeat every year. Because actually, Lord, this story is amazing. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how you would um, uh, announce uh, a big event in your life. Um, Because this story, actually, this announcement that uh, we read in this passage is the most amazing, incredible rescue mission that the world has ever known. And I hazard a guess that you wouldn't actually um, go and talk to a teenage girl about it. 
uh, and let alone somebody in a tiny Judean village. And because most teenage girls that I know are pretty stroppy and hormonal at the best of times. But anyway, um, that is how God actually decided to communicate this uh, awesome event. I'm not sure I'd sent an archangel to go and pass on the message either, because I'd want to tell the whole world that this God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, including you and I, has been moved to such compassion that he decides to come and dwell among us. So it set me thinking about how God might have communicated this thing to us, this message to us today. And um, recently I received a magazine um, because I ordered something and it's all about health and it just has an interesting article here that's headed self-tracking optimization. So some of you may um, uh, resonate with this. Um, So decades ago, people would read their pulse by pressing their fingers on their wrist and counting the beats they felt during a span of a minute. People would estimate the hours of sleep by peering at the clock right before they closed their eyes and seeing the time when they woke up to go to the bathroom or to get a drink of water or to wake up worrying about the next day. People would would keep a written log of how many miles they ran, perhaps by driving their car along the same route and reading the car's odometer. Keeping a food diary meant weighing food out and writing it down in a paper booklet in order to review with a professional nutritionist or consult a book. Well, much has changed, hasn't it, in the last 10 years. We can use a free app on our phone to register the barcode on something we eat, or our smartwatches can read our heart rate and oxygen levels. We can buy scales that weigh us and then communicate with a fitness app. And fitness trackers and watches even track our sleep and determine the quality of it, deep or shallow. We may keep track of recipes we want to try online, and then we document the results with an Instagram photo. We not only determine the distance of our long walks, but we can see it mapped out minute by minute with speed averages or even topographical changes in hills or stairs we climbed. Whether we fully engage with it or not, we are living in a self-tracking society. And how we look at data and understand it and perhaps improve upon it is what followers of self-tracking optimization aim to achieve. Well... Why am I um, mentioning this? Well, I think we can all get completely, sorry, I'm going to do that, um, get consumed by numbers and by the gadgets in our hands. So often um, when we're with friends or with family, we get the mobile phones out and we're just checking our emails. And it's a complete and utter distraction to us. Maybe God would communicate this message about uh, the uh, birth of Jesus through um, social media, but I guess he would probably do it in a sinless way. And the thing is that everything is just so instant, isn't it? We, have, um, we hardly have time to stop, never mind um, have the opportunity to think. 
Now, some of you may have heard of Simon Sinek. Um, he is a British-American author. He's a motivational speaker and an organizational consultant. And had this, he had this to say about young people. Because everything is so instant and um, immediate, actually, most young people don't even know how to have a relationship, how to build a relationship with somebody else because everything is just so quick. We're so glued to our gadgets, looking to them to tell us how fit we are or how much sleep we get, that I think we often might miss the opportunity of what, the heavenly, what our Heavenly Father is saying to us. My own experience is often when God downloads some important stuff to us, uh, to me, I'm in the middle of doing something like washing up or I'm driving and I can't possibly uh, stop and write down what he's um, speaking to me. And I think that's one of the disadvantages about technology as well, is that we've got lazy in retaining facts and information. So I think really, if God wants to communicate with us, I think some of us are overdue a visit from an angel, especially if it's the only way that God is going to get our attention. Well, in our reading, Luke takes quite a bit of time on this encounter and particularly Mary's response. This encounter is not mentioned in such detail in any other of the Gospels. And so it's a good question to ask, why might this be? Well, Tim Keller suggests that the reason for this is to hold her up as a model of what responsive Christian faith looks like. And so here are some of the things that we can learn from her. We read in verse 29 that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, I don't know about you, but being uh, greatly troubled is a bit of an understatement when the Archangel Gabriel uh, walks in. And I don't know what your picture of an angel might be. Um, interestingly enough, um, over the years, a number of members of St. Barnabas Church have seen angels up in the, the chancel area and I was um, praying with a friend for St Paul's Hammersmith a couple of years ago and the Lord gave me um, a picture of, um, of an angel standing on the roof of St Paul's Hammersmith and it was a big burly uh, kind of angel with his arms folded and said you shall not pass because there are a few um, uh, issues going on uh, in, in the church. So I imagine that you would be pretty troubled, wouldn't you, if an angel turned up in your kitchen or in your office uh, or even in the car if you were driving it. But what we see in Mary's response is her being rational. She is measured and thoughtful in her response. I think one of the key words in uh, that particular verse is the word wondered. She wondered um, how this could be. Now, the English translation of that word wondered is not a particularly good translation of the original Greek. In the Greek, it is more practical. 
and actually it's something along the lines of an accounting term and it kind of involves taking an audit. And so in accountancy speak, Mary's weighing things up. Am I really seeing an angel or is this an hallucination? And in this weighing up, Mary demonstrates that she does not immediately accept the message, but asks, how can this be? That's a polite way of saying this is totally crazy. This is totally impossible. But again, in being rational, she is in asking this question, um, she's just weighing things up and she's not rejecting what the angel Gabriel is saying. And part of her weighing up is because in her culture, um, the, you know, the, the Jewish people were being trained not to believe that God could ever become a human being. So if she was to believe the words of the angel Gabriel, she knew it would be costly for her in terms of her reputation and that of Joseph and, his, and their families. So often, we don't know what it is to really pay the cost for being a Christian, for obeying God. And I'm just really humbled by the number of Iranian people that have arrived in this church. I'm sure I've mentioned it before. But we have a family here who came um, in the back of a lorry. Um, the, uh, the father had become a Christian. His wife had not yet um, met with Jesus. And um, the circumstances were such that they had to literally just leave with the clothes that they were wearing on their backs. And the two boys that came uh, with them didn't have a chance to say goodbye to their friends. And could you imagine what it's like being in the back of a lorry, leaving the country and your friends and your family and your school, your workplace, all for the sake of uh, believing in Jesus Christ? I think most of us, if we're honest, would be um, willing to admit that most of the troubles that we face are the troubles that non-Christians face too. It's nothing that's really specific uh, to us um, because of our faith. And I think that's something that uh, we should be challenged on. So Mary doubted and she questioned Mary used her reason. And we must do exactly the same if we are going to have faith. Now, last week, we looked at um, the story of Zechariah. And his response, again, doubtful, just like um, uh, Mary, shows that he had a closed mind. Whereas in Mary's doubt, she showed an open mind. Some doubt will often uh, lead us to seek answers, but some doubt will also become a defence against the possibility of answers. Friends, it is, it is okay to doubt, but at some point we will need to be either willing to relinquish sovereignty over our lives, or we choose to walk away and trying to stay in control of our lives as much as the apps on our mobile phones do. 
So this is the way of faith. And as we share and celebrate this Christmas story, those of us who have come to faith need to allow others space to explore what faith is like and in this Jesus, this man who is, um, this person who is fully man and fully God. Tim Keller describes it like this. True faith is not something that you simply decide in yourself to exercise. It's not a process of which you are in control. One of the marks of real Christian faith then is the sense that there is some kind of power outside of you putting its finger on you, coming to you and dealing with you. What we learn from Mary is that she seems to know how we might feel. But here's another thought. Mary may not be the most vulnerable person in the story. There is one who becomes even more vulnerable than she. The God who becomes dependent flesh in the womb of a vulnerable Mary. This story may seem to magnify Mary, but it's really about God and the vulnerability of God. God the creator becomes creature. God, the breath of every living thing, becomes a tiny embryo. God, whose hands scoop out the oceans, floats in an amniotic sac. God, whose voice splits cedar trees, cries for mother's milk. God, who crushes king's armies, can't walk. God, who feeds all living things, is hungry. God, who is sovereign, cannot defend himself. God, full of glory, needs his nappy changing and is sick, just like we were as babies. Oh yes, on the day that Gabriel came to visit Mary, on the day that the Holy Spirit came upon her, on the day that the power of the Most High overshadowed her, on that day, God became vulnerable. But it did set in motion the greatest rescue plan the world has ever known. I don't know where you are in your own personal journey of faith, or if you have been waiting for a short time or for a long time for the Lord to speak to you. But I do know this, God is with us in our journey of faith. Advent is about waiting, but we wait not for God to come and sort everything out for us, but to be like Mary, to allow the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to make changes in us that we might bring about changes in our world, even though it could cost us as much as it did Mary. I think for some of us, we need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to come upon us, to overshadow us. As we begin this Advent season and take a fresh look at the Christmas story, we're going to have an opportunity to sit quietly and reflect upon the, God, the call that God has upon us and our lives. 
and to consider Mary's response and if we could have the same response. And we're going to do this by using a different form of communication. And I'm going to show you a picture of the Annunciation by Fra Filippo Lippi from the 15th century. Um, you can see the genuine article in the National Gallery. Um, and there's lots of symbolism in this picture. Um, you can see there's a divide between the angel Gabriel and Mary. And that is significant of the fact that salvation only comes from God, that only um, uh, the Spirit coming uh, that um, to make um, the baby that Mary eventually carries is, is fully man and fully God. You can probably see... Um, the angel's wings are like um, peacock's uh, feathers, tails. And those little eyes on them are known as the eyes of the church, keeping an eye on what's going on. Um, in the middle, you'll see there's a vase with lilies in it. And actually, the angel Gabriel is holding a lily. Lilies symbolize um, purity and chastity. And this is actually part of... Um, a thing that was, uh, there are two other paintings that are connected to this uh, for a doorway for the Medici family. And if you see at the top, there's a hand coming out of dark space. It's like the painting has stopped and that's the hand of God. And if you, you go up and take a closer look afterwards, but there is actually just a little spiral uh, coming down from God and in front of Mary is the dove that is just hovering in front of her womb and that's uh, do you remember when Jesus is first baptized the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes down on him so um, and she's opulently uh, dressed in this particular picture but I don't know whether you find it helpful just to think of some of the symbolism I'm going to hand out a prayer a life prayer and it's quite a tough prayer. Um, and so it may not be for everybody. And whilst I'm just going to give you a few moments, we're going to have uh, music by Eric Whitaker, the Luxorumque, uh, playing. And I just want you to just have this moment to be in the Lord's presence and just to um, ask him, how can you respond to his call on your life like Mary? Mm -hmm. 